chick flicks, romantic comedies, rom-coms. You love them, you hate them, but we are here to eviscerate them. Welcome to the Rom-Com Killjoys podcast. We are your hosts, Eliza Bertrand and Janelle Walker. Now, let's get on with some feminist joy killing. Welcome back to Rom-Com Killjoys. Lean back, close your eyes. Feel the warm ocean breeze on your face. Listen to the mellow 90s jazz saxophone. And take a sip of your rum punch, because we're going on vacation. Oh, I need it, Eliza. I'm telling you, this vacation... I am so ready for this month. I am so ready to pretend to be relaxing. Janelle, are you ready to get your groove back? <laughs> Eliza... I, I don't know where my groove is, but I, I have to believe it's in a foreign country. That's the only <laughs> explanation for where I left it. Because it's it. not here. It's certainly not in the continental United States, nor in the <laughs> territories. I'm telling you, it's not. Well, uh, this week we're going to see if we can find it in Jamaica. How are you feeling about that? Yes. I'm feeling great about that. I am, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. I've never seen this movie after all of its many years of great renown. So this was, a, this was fun. Yeah, this is a fun one. Um, I wouldn't say it's the greatest movie of all time, but it is very fun. I mean, it, it serves the purpose that it was intended to serve. And I have great respect for that. Great respect. It's not, it's not shooting above its means. It knows what it's doing and it does it <laughs> pretty well. Pretty well. Well, why yeah. don't you uh, give us a little Google summary? Yes, let me hit you with a Google summary for How Stella Got Her Groove Back, 1998. Unlucky in love stockbroker Stella, played by Angela Bassett, jets to Jamaica with her gal pal Delilah, played by Whoopi Goldberg, for some fun in the sun. There, the 40-year-old working woman has an island fling with Winston Shakespeare, played by Tay Diggs, a handsome 20-something. When it's time to return to California, Stella realizes that she's developed real feelings for her new man. But with their distance from each other, not to mention their disparity in age, does a real relationship stand a chance? Oh boy. Well, Eliza, I wish that was the question I was asking you, but it's not. The question that I'm going <laughs> to pose is uh, that that's what Google says how Stella got her groove back is about. Well, that's a weird, the syntax for that is weird. Sorry, <laughs> listeners. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but what is How Stella Got Her Groove Back really about? Well, I mean, just on a on a basic surface level, this movie is about fantasy. It is about romantic fantasy. It is about vacation fantasy. It is about the fantasy of starting a new life and finding romance without even having to look. Um, and it's about the fantasy of black romance um you know we're obviously going to talk about the fact that the two leads in this are uh african-american they're black people and this is a love letter to romance stories for and about black people um which there's still just not a lot of in hollywood especially compared to romance stories for and about white people um and so this movie really lets itself sink in perhaps at times a little too much into the fantasy of the love story. Yeah, Eliza, I, I totally agree with that. I think uh, one of the things about this movie that I knew coming into it, uh, having not seen it yet, but having known its reputation, is that the author of the book, 
uh, that this is based on, How Stella Got Her Groove Back, is written by the author Terry McMillan, and that she had based this off of her sort of real-life fantasy come true when she went to Jamaica and she met a much younger man and they got married and it was like her fantasy but it turns out that he was gay and they divorced seven years later. So it's interesting knowing that and looking back at this film and this book and its reputation, knowing that the reality that it's based on was itself kind of a fantasy, as it turns out. Yeah, you know, I think there's always exceptions to the rule and all of that. And people like the idea of, yeah, these two people, they made it work despite the age difference. And it was a this was a specific situation. But I do think a lot of times, even in real life, that is still fantasy. And I think that this movie doesn't dispel my beliefs about that. (laughs) Yeah, it's so difficult watching like, you know, gorgeous, perfect, put together Angela Bassett, raising all these potential red flags for her younger lover and having, you know, gorgeous, handsome, Mm. incredible, young Tay Diggs dispel all those red flags in the film. But you know both from the reality of this like background story, but also from your own experience as a woman, like, listen, listen to the red flags, (laughs) run Angela Bassett, Stella run. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, you know, it, the movie brings up all of these red flags in the relationship because the movie, you know, has to have conflict, but I feel like it doesn't tend to actually resolve the red flags. You know, it sort Mm -hmm. of keeps resolving it by just being like, but they're in love, but they're in love, but they're in love without actually addressing the real issues because it wants to be a sort of fun, lighthearted movie, except that if you're going to introduce real conflict, you have to resolve the conflict. And I don't really feel Mm -hmm. they do. And they get to the end of the movie, spoilers, and they come to the conclusion that despite everything, they're not working as a couple. Like he's got too much growth and exploring to do in his own life and she needs more stability and they're fighting a lot and like much as they love each other they need to go their separate ways and then she shows up at the airport to stop him from flying home and that's the end of the movie and it it's not a particularly satisfying end to a movie that Mm -hmm. otherwise has a lot of great things about it because you're like but you just had a whole conversation about how this won't work yeah, and it's it's such an interesting example of that trope of uh, successful women who have trouble with dating. Because, mm-hmm. like, as we, as we showed in the Google description of this movie, they describe Stella as unlucky in love. And that's not entirely true, right? She had a previous marriage with a child that ended, and she's just really devoted to her career. She's just really about herself. She just doesn't really want to date that much is the impression mm-hmm. that we get, mostly because men don't interest her as much as maybe they used to. Um, but then this ending really, like glorifies her just saying like well screw all my inhibitions like screw my intuition i'm just gonna not follow that and just follow love which is also not the best moral like it's not the same (laughs) as these films that say that like you know high-powered professional women um are bad at dating inherently and need the right man to teach them how to love it's a very distinct thing Mm -hmm. from that and in many ways it's a superior moral Mm -hmm. but it's not It's not ideal. It's not what I want for Angela Bassett. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I think at the start of the movie, while it, you know, very clearly from like the first scene with her character establishes her as a busy businesswoman, it manages to not fall too much into a lot of those like really um, cartoony tropes of it. You know, she she clearly has her own personality and her relationships with her sisters and her friends. And, you know, there's it's not 
too cringeworthy. But then as it goes on, it does have this kind of like, and she needs to throw away her career in order to find love, which, you know, is, a, I feel like a very sort of 80s, 90s way to look at a, you know, a high powered career woman in a romance. But in today's oeuvre, I don't think quite works anymore. <laughs> Yeah, especially because it's so often couched in her her and Winston, Stella and Winston getting into these conversations about, it's rarely explicitly put this way, but it's sort of the implicit meaning that she emasculates him in various mm-hmm. ways by wanting her own way. Like there's a really interesting scene between Winston and Stella's ex-husband where they talk about like, oh, well, you know, this is what Stella's like. And are you ready for this, my man? Like, are you ready for this? And... He says that he is, but the implication there, of course, is that, like, Stella's a lot to handle. She's the one mm-hmm. in charge. Can you do that as a man? And and it is. It's a very sort of dated way of approaching it. And I think that the racial politics of emasculation uh, and powerful women are very complex and very delicate and couched in a lot of uh, violent, terrible history that mm-hmm. we maybe don't have enough time to go into in the podcast, but we could maybe gloss, that I think the film resolves in ways that are a little bit too tidy. I mean, it is a rom-com. I get it. It is adapted <laughs> from a romantic comedy. I get it. But I just, I think I wish that the movie had had not worried too much, as much as it does about emasculating mm-hmm. Winston. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The way that it deals with both of their careers I found a little unsatisfying, if predictable. You know, she starts as a sort of high-powered, like, finance person um, and ultimately gives it up to pursue her more creative dream of designing furniture, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. he is done with an, an undergraduate degree. His parents want him to become a doctor. He always planned on becoming a doctor, but now he's, you know, sort of finding himself, sowing his wild oats, taking his time, whatever, before deciding whether or not he really wants to become a doctor. Maybe he wants to be a chef. Maybe he wants to yada, yada, yada. And I thought that what was going to happen is he was going to realize that he'd been giving in to these pressures to follow the path his parents wanted and become a doctor. But he was going to ultimately pursue a more creative career. But in the end, he says, "Okay, I'm ready to go to med school now. And she's given up her career, which until she gives it up, it's always implied that she loved to go do something else. And so I found that interesting that the man ultimately was like, no, 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 I do need to take the like important, high powered, well-paying, solid career choice. And the woman was like, no, no, I'm going to go pursue my passion when the way they set it up, I kind of thought it'd be the other way around. Yeah, that is really interesting. I hadn't I hadn't really noticed that. But you're right. There is a little bit of a power dynamic switcheroo there at the end. You know, and it's she makes some comments about when I was a kid, I wanted to do other things, whatever. But she never talks about being unhappy in her job. And then her job lets her go and then offers her the chance to come back. And she gets to have this power moment of like turning them down. But I feel like Mm -hmm. they could have had her turn them down and, you know, demand more money or turn them down and then start her own business. But like in that field to show them that she doesn't need them anymore. You know, it's not like she left the job initially because she was unhappy And so I just found that as a through line, it didn't work for me as well. Yeah, I I hear that. You don't, it is sort of uh, disappointing to see a woman who begins the film so sure of herself, so Mm -hmm. empowered by her circumstances, have a relationship kind of throw her off balance and question her values and what Mm -hmm. she wants, but not necessarily in a way that is affirming. 
because you're right. Yeah. I think that, that that is a very kind of disorienting thing about Stella's character is that in the end, she's she's had to give up her career. She's following a new passion. But is she actually better off than when the film began? Good question. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. She has a relationship, but where's that going? We don't yeah. know. The other thing I will say is I think just in general, um, the structure and sort of pacing of the movie is a bit off. You know, it, I agree. It doesn't track well in a sort of three act or five act structure as most films do. It kind of is almost sort of like little separate anecdotes type thing you know it's got all these sort of little crisis that comes up and then they have solved that and then a little issue that comes up and they have a fight and then they solve that and the first sort of third of the movie when she actually goes on vacation has a very clear structure and then it's like someone like rips the tape and like starts over (laughs) for the next two thirds in a totally different style of movie so it just doesn't flow very well in any of the plot things because there's not like introduction to the characters introduction to the you know potential problem actual problem slight solution to the problem final resolution like it doesn't have that typical arc and so it's more sort of jolts you in and out of what's happening absolutely it's it really struck me that it has essentially like a classic episodic plot structure where you have lots of Mm -hmm. mini conflicts and many resolutions and there is a major resolution at the end but it doesn't like you say it doesn't really resolve a giant tension that's been building from the beginning of the story. And I would love to hear um, friend of the show and romance novelist, uh, Kate Kearns, you should really, uh, really reinforce for us whether this is uh, a reflection of certain romance novel structure tropes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause I know I read a, Oh God, you guys, here's the way to show that the show's had an effect on me. I read a romance novel recently <gasps> and it was Didn't called, know. I know, I know. Can you believe it? Um, <laughs> it was called the Texan takes a wife. The pl- actual <laughs> plot is not important. I feel like but I already know the plot. You know the plot. And it also had this similar structure where you have two characters. From the beginning, we know that they're attracted to each other. We mm-hmm. just don't know how they're going to end up together. But their pathway to getting there is essentially exactly like how Stella got her groove back. It's an episodic, small conflict mm-hmm. to final resolution thing. But I think you're right. Like Ultimately, in terms of romance, it's not the most satisfying build because we sort of already know from early on in the film that they're going to be together. I mean, they're together by what, minute 25? Right. Um, yeah, I think you're right that it definitely, you can see the um, the book background in this movie, absolutely. You know, I think you use the phrase episodic, and I think that's an interesting comparison, because I do think, especially in romance novels, you get that sort of small episodes, small fights, small crises that are continually resolved throughout. Um and much more the way you would get in like a TV show. Although in a mm-hmm. TV show, the tension gets built by the fact that you can stretch that over a very long period of time. You have, you know, breaks in this between the seasons, you know, things like that. And so even though you know from the beginning of any sitcom, like, oh, that's the will they won't they couple, you can kind of stretch that out over just because of the structure of TV. Whereas when you're reading it in a book, like you're like, okay, this is what we're dealing with. We're already in it. This book is all this here we go. Um, and when you watch that in a movie, it's a shorter period of time. And so I think it's less satisfying when you just dive right in because Mm -hmm. then it's over, you know, there's not a chance to dive right in, but then stretch it out or to like make you have to sort of keep going back to it as you keep picking up the book again. Um, and so it does, you know, it, 
it doesn't work as well in this format. Um, and I think maybe they could have benefited from someone with more movie script writing experience to figure out mm. how to how to plot that better. And and I think that there are lots of things to like about what she she does in here that do work, but it's not the plot structure, right? Like the plot structure leaves so much to be desired. Mm-hmm. But like, you know what I love about this movie? When I came in, I thought, oh fuck. This is going to be an American woman traveling to the Caribbean and like exoticizing a person from another country. And it's going to be so stereotypical about Jamaica and what it's like. And like, you know, this kind of like Mm -hmm. sexy tourism that you can get from a film like Dirty Dancing Havana Nights, for example. But actually, I thought the film's uh, portrayal of Jamaica was really, apart from Tay Diggs' accent, which is absolutely (laughs) awful. Um, God bless him. Uh, but the representation <laughs> of Jamaica was really great. Like, I didn't, I wasn't quite sure if we were going to get a fully fleshed out background for Winston Shakespeare, and we did. Mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciate that part of the of the screenplay, and I presume the novel as well. Yeah, I think the things that this movie does best are um, sort of grounding each of the two main leads in their their family life and their backstories. Like, they do feel like mm-hmm. real people. Um, and so the scenes with her family where they're at the barbecue where she's with her sisters feel very mm-hmm. real. The scenes where you're learning about him and his family and his time in Jamaica feel very real. Um, and and as such as well, the fantasy parts of it, like that truly do lean into the fantasy, are so lovely. Um, yeah. You know, that first big section of the movie where she's in Jamaica and everything's beautiful and she's in this gorgeous hotel and this absolutely beautiful man appears and is obsessed (laughs) with her like that fantasy part really works in the movie it's cinematic it's like it sweeps you up in it i i almost wish they brought it back to that at the end right like she goes to to the airport to stop him from leaving i almost wish she like let him get to jamaica and then she showed up back in jamaica or something you know something to just sort of Right? Like, it would just would tie it fun. together better, and then you'd be like, oh, right, this is a fantasy travel indulgent movie, and it doesn't let itself be as indulgent once they get back to the States, uh, which I think is too bad, because it absolutely could have been. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, I, I guess I had I had kind of expected that, that it was going to be all like, okay, and let's be clear. This movie, the first, like, 30 to 45 minutes especially are really sexy. But it's, like, be prepared that it's a real specific kind of, like, 90s sexy that is, like, (laughs) sensual. That involves, like, diaphanous curtains and slow jams and a lot of, like, touching. Like, a lot of fingers coming down a certain limb. You know, and unfortunately, because I've seen The Room a hundred times, all I can do is think, you are my rose, you are my rose, you are my rose, which is horrible. It does not give enough credit to this movie and how beautiful those scenes are done. But just so you're aware, those fantasy scenes are great. They're so much fun. And I love that they keep it, like you said, they keep it really grounded in like the reality of two people meeting each other rather than like, oh, look at Jamaica. It's a fantasy place where the people are beautiful and everyone's sexy, you know, like. It, it, it was able to dodge that really well in a way that other movies that have a similar sort of um, escape to the Caribbean to find mm-hmm. yourself uh, plot don't. Right. Um, yeah, you know, you got to love those 90s slow jams God. and that just like heavy <laughs> saxophone. Magnificent. It, there was so much saxophone in this movie, you guys, and a lot of diaphanous curtains. <laughs> <laughs> I think her entire 
her entire hotel suite was just diaphanous curtains. It was it was literally walls like, of diaphanous curtains and just hay digs emerging from them. There's like chiffon in every doorway, every window surrounding her bed. At one point, I swear they're in the middle of the bed and there's like a curtain on top of them. I was like, <laughs> did, did the bed collapse? Like, what's happening here? Um, but yeah, no, it's it's fun without being, you know, by 90s standards over the top. And they do, I think, you know, they keep bringing in for comedic effect these other like guys who are staying at the hotel who are hitting on Stella and her friend mm-hmm. and you know and all this kind of stuff to sort of pull you out of the fantasy just enough that it, it feels a little more real and a little less you know over the top yeah and I think I think that that like point about how the movie keeps us like it keeps us nicely tantalized by the fantasy but it doesn't keep us entirely in the realm of fantasy like they have a real relationship with real mm-hmm. problems it's not like he's, you know, just this perfect man with no flaws. As we said, the movie is filled with red flags. Trust us. Yeah. Watch it and take notes. Um, but one place where I think that the movie is always sort of in this realm of, of fantasy, or it's very conscious, I should say it's in the realm of fantasy, it's very conscious of the realm of fantasy, is with this age gap. This yeah. is, I believe, the first movie that we've covered where the woman in the partnership is significantly older. Is that right? Yeah. No, we have not done something like this before. So let's talk about that. <laughs> so here's the thing. When you're dealing with an age gap in either direction, we know if you've been listening to the podcast how I feel about the man being significantly older than the women. It is not positive. Um, but with with either the man being much older or the woman being much older, I think the things that come across as romantic or sensual or whatever are different than if they're much closer in age and you have to account for that and I think Mm. this movie gets some of those things right and some of them it doesn't you know him being like trying to get her to open up and trying to get her to be freer that works the scene where he's talking about the fact that he's still trying to find himself and she can relate to it because she's like I went through that And I might be going through that again right now, which I didn't expect to be going through again, but like I am. And so he gets it. That works. All of the scenes of him being really great with her kid did not work for me. Oh, boy. When they're playing video games together, I was like, like, oh, no. Oh, no. I love a guy being cute with the kids. That is my absolute sweet spot. But it doesn't come across as endearing when the guy's 20. Because you're like, yeah, you could have gone to the same school if you went to a middle school, high school hybrid. Right? Yikes. This isn't isn't endearing that he gets along with the kids. Because of course he does. He's very close in age to them. It's endearing when an adult man who doesn't have a lot of kids in his life can still be nice to the woman's child. That's great. You know, when George Clooney does it, it's sexy. When someone who's 20 does it to someone who's 11, you're like, yeah, because you're like siblings. Oh, God. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's very true. And the film, to its credit, at least acknowledges this. Like, Angela Bassett's character, Stella, from the beginning is constantly like, I'm old enough to be your mother. There's a huge gap here. We're at different places in our life. Like, do you really want to do this? So at least there's like the kind of hesitancy that maybe you wouldn't get with um, a kind of like lecherous older man. Uh, right. scenario or a like uh, an older man who wants to be your mentor and your lover which oh my god kill me um, she's certainly not doing that but I, I think you're right the the problems are inherent I mean you just you really can't avoid the indeed like there's she's she's he is closer in age to her son by an enormous amount than she is to him mm-hmm. uh, and that is 
that is always going to cause some tension. That is always right. going to raise some questions. Yes. Well, and I think one of the places the movie falters is, as you say, they acknowledge the problem, but they don't they don't actually address it and solve it. Right. Like, I think pointing out the problem is fine if you're then going to deal with the issues. If you don't really want to deal with the issues, then you need to point out the problem less. <laughs> because yeah, that's they true. keep pointing it out. Right. Like at the beginning, she raises her concerns and he's sort of like. This is just sex. This is just fun. This is light. Like, let's figure out where it's going. Don't panic. Stop telling me how old you are. We're getting along. It's fine. Okay, great. They've addressed it. Then she meets his family and his mother is the same age as her and hates her and is like, what are you doing? Do you have any solutions to this problem? I think this is inappropriate. I think, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she has no response to the mother. And then the mm -hmm. two of them immediately have a fight about it where she's like, bringing me here without warning me, I think was immature. You should have realized that this was going to be more difficult. You should have given me time. I'm unhappy with how you handled it. And he just says, sorry, they don't actually address any of the issues. Then they go back to America and her whole family is like, what's going on with this guy? What's happening? Isn't this a little weird? And she never addresses it. She, she runs into her sister and her sister's husband and some other friends while she's out on a date. And they're all like, oh, that was awkward. We like don't have anything to talk about, blah, blah, blah. And it never gets solved. Like, you could point it out once or twice and have the two of them do the big, no, I love him, it's solving all of our problems, and I'd accept it. But if you keep pointing out more red flags, you have to address the red flags. Yeah, yeah. Because I think in the end, I mean, what we're left with from their final sort of episodic resolution is that, yeah, okay, so there are major problems with him being so much younger and in a completely different phase of life than she is. But that doesn't matter because love, which yeah. is not a great resolution and is definitely a resolution for other films that we would have said, like, no, no, mm -hmm. we reject this. Right. And like, it's a romance story. It's a romance novel. There's a lot that you can hand wave over with love will fix this, but not everything. You know, if the problem is that two people live far apart. And you say love will fix this. I can buy that to a degree because maybe it means they're willing to make the sacrifices of spending a lot of time traveling back and forth. Maybe it means one of them is willing to make the sacrifice of actually moving from where they are. Maybe it means they'll, you know, be able to stick through the long distance because they love each other. Sure, I can hand wave that. I can accept that excuse. But there are other problems we fundamentally disagree about how we want to raise our child. Love is not going to... That's not going to fix that. Fix that, right? And so it is a solution in romantic stories that you see a lot, but I do think it has to apply to the right situation. Well, and it is. It's just so hard to to watch this now. What is it? It's about 16 years now since Terry McMillan and her husband, who inspired this book, divorced. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it turns out that that was a very contentious divorce. He claims that he was not uh, totally conscious of his sexuality at the time when they got married. She claims that he frauded her and intentionally married her for her money, which, yikes. Oh, God. Now going back and watching this movie, you're like, yeah, okay, so maybe some of these problems actually were worth delving into a little bit more and right. protecting yourself more. Right. Maybe some of the issues that her friends and family raised should have been paid attention to because a few of them do say stuff like that. Right. Like, why is he interested in you? What is this about? 
Um, and when it's based on a, a love story that ended that way, it does make you a little a little cringe when you think about that. Like, oh, maybe your friends were right. And it's so difficult because on the one hand, you think like, okay, so what was her alternative offered in this movie? This guy, the judge, who is older, successful, they have some things in common, but he's portrayed as sort of boring and stiff. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially as we get older, one of the things I'm thinking about a lot is this kind of dichotomy that we're given that like, you can either make the smart choices in love, or you can make the fun and interesting choices, mm -hmm. and there's nothing in between. But of course, that's not true. You can find someone who is both a smart choice and a fun and interesting choice. Like, that's possible. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't have to just throw ourselves at the most interesting, the most passionate, the most eyebrow-raising partnership because we think it's going to spice up our lives. It might. But it might also end you up in divorce court losing half your assets, which sounds terrible. I know it's not fun to offer up a middle ground option, but I feel like there are more movies now that maybe acknowledge that that might be out there, right? Like maybe there's someone who's fun and a decent choice, right? They're not the safest choice or the wildest, most fun choice, but they're a little bit of both. And that combination can be pretty great too. And again, that's not as sexy of an answer. <laughs> It's not. But it's it, not how Stella got her groove back. No. But, okay, so here's my question for you, Janelle. Uh -huh. Did Stella get her groove back? <laughs> you know, Eliza, I genuinely don't know. I really don't, because there was a part <laughs> of me that was like, you know what I think Stella getting her groove back would look like in 2021? I feel like it would look like Stella using her shares from that investment firm to start a um, bespoke furniture company in the Bay Area um, buying a vineyard and living her best life and not having to worry about the immature concerns of her younger lover. I feel like that <laughs> is how Stella would get her groove back today. And sure, she can have partners. It doesn't mean that she has to end up alone. But I just feel like, you know what, Stella, I think you deserve better. I don't think you should have to worry about your younger spouse's medical school bills for Stanford. I don't think you should have to worry about that in this stage of your life. You deserve better. Also, like, just from a financial place, he should definitely go to med school in Jamaica. Um. Yeah, um, what, what kind of, why? Anyway, it was um, cute. It was a cute line, though. It was a really cute line. Yeah, I also will say part of the thing that, to me, watching the movie made me feel like maybe the groove wasn't totally back. Maybe someone threw off her groove was the shoehorn storyline about Whoopi Goldberg's character. I know. Yes, let's talk about that. First of all, kudos to this incredible cast. We have Whoopi Goldberg, we have Regina King, we have Tay Diggs, we have Angela Bassett. Crack Regina King is a baby. I know, it's wild to see. And yet she has not aged, of course. No, uh, she looks the she same, looks just she looks better fabulous. wigs. <laughs> much better wigs my god Whew, they did her wrong anyway um yeah the so if you haven't seen the film Whoopi Goldberg plays Stella's best friend D and uh they go on the trip to Jamaica together they're having a great time and then bam out of nowhere D has terminal cancer surprise whoa talk about a curveball and like absolutely Whoopi Goldberg doing some amazing acting here uh in this movie actually like in the scenes where she's sick but also there's this beautiful scene where they're sitting on the coast of Jamaica and she gets up and she walks to the horizon and you just see this like kind of medium close-up on her face and she says God is here 
And I could just watch that her say that line uh, on repeat. <laughs> it was just beautifully, beautifully delivered. Just excellent craft work. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, the it was it was shoehorned in and very disruptive. Totally. Yeah, it, it disrupts the story, and it also I felt to me raised so many flags that then were just never addressed, including like this woman now who has lost her job and had her best friend of twenty years die unexpectedly is then expected to make a bunch of, like, big life-changing decisions all at once and we're not supposed to question whether any of them were maybe unhealthy choices. Like, for yeah. start, right? If your friend goes through that and then was like, and I'm dating a guy who can't even legally drink in the U.S. yet. I'd be like, okay, maybe this is a cry oh, for help. You're, like, definitely seeking to, you know, relive your youth because your friend just died. Then there's also the fact that she just lost someone who she's had a relationship with for the entire length of Tay Diggs character's life. Wow. Right? Like, they, oh my God, I had not put that 40, together. Eliza. They're 40. They say they've been friends since college. Tay Diggs character is not quite 21. She has literally been friends with this friend since his birth. And now she's lost that person. And he's supposed to be the one who's best prepared to like talk her through that no. grief. No. And she no. never, they never deal with the grief except for one scene where he finds her awake in the middle of the night crying over like a picture of her and the friend. And he's, you know, he's nice to her about it. But I was like, bitch, call your sister. Like this man oh, is yeah. not prepared to deal with this crisis. And it's nice that he wants to be like, that's definitely a vote in his favor that he showed up. He knew you need support, but like, he's not the person you should be turning to right now. You had a relationship with him for six months. He can't you know, address the issues that are going on in your head right now about this huge part of your life you've just lost. Oh my gosh, that's so true. Like the idea that he, she's like replacing the 20 years of intimacy that she had with Dee um, with like this 20 year old mm -hmm. whose sum of life experience is supposed to replace that intimacy. Yeah. Oh, but it's yeah. it's such a good lesson, isn't it? Right. That like it really highlights and put into relief that we are we are trained to believe that intimate romantic relationships, no matter their length, as long as the connection is strong enough, can somehow be a suitable replacement or supplement for our intimate friendships. And that's mm -hmm. just not true. It's really not. Um, and I feel like I wouldn't have had as many issues with the romantic relationship if there hadn't been this weird shoehorned storyline about losing her best friend. And the the juxtaposition between these two friendships these two relationships, it bothered me. It rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, I, I agree. I think ultimately that's that's the thing about this movie that's difficult is that like, I love the fantasy. I'm with you. I'm enjoying these scenes in Jamaica. But you're right. In the end, having to kind of look at the sum total of her experience over this period of time that we see in the film, it is difficult to feel excited for her and for this couple. We feel yeah. instead a little bit hesitant. We feel a little bit concerned. Right. Yeah. And like, that's not great. I want to say good for you to anyone who gets to sleep with Tay Diggs. Like, yes. that's great. I, I'm so happy for you, Angela Bassett. You deserve uh. a Tay Diggs in your life. Don't get me wrong. That's that's you know the thing about this movie that's so funny is I feel like they they do get away with having him play such a young character because it's it's Tay Diggs. He just carries it off. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't right. come off immature. He comes off grounded. He's present. He's connected. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, these two people are so beautiful and have such gravitas that you do want to root for them, right? Like, you do spend a lot of the movie going like, hell yes to this. This is great. But if you step back and talk about it and, and maybe for a second try to remove 
the visual from your mind. There's a lot wrong with it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. So maybe just watch the movie with the sound off and no captions. Just as well. And the soundtrack. Spend some just alone the soundtrack in the background. It'll be great. That's definitely the superior way to watch this movie, except for any scene with Whoopi Goldberg, in which you should definitely have the sound up because she's phenomenal in this. And Regina King, who's having a blast, a certified blast. (laughs) I mean, Whoopi's really great as the sassy best friend. You know, at some point we're going to have to do like a, a, you know, showdown of all of our favorite sassy best friends um, in these movies. And she definitely in this one, like talks her friend into going on a fancy vacation to Jamaica does her best to get her friend a hookup while there. Doesn't do a great job of it, but like tries real hard. Is funny, is smart, has all the right things to say, right? Like she's excellent. But then they decide to kill her because I don't know. They decided to. We needed some tears. Ugh, I just ugh. and and you're right though. Like the whole purpose that she serves is to remind Stella that life is short and you have to seize the moment. But I was like, no, 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 no. This is not the way to seize the moment, though. Don't, Does life don't have to do be it. that short? It doesn't have to be that short. <laughs> also, don't like, do be you rash. Need, do you need a dying friend to remind you that life is short and to seize the moment if you're dating a 20-year-old whose whole point in your relationship <gasps> is to remind you to seize the moment? Oh, God. Yeah. She just had to... Something had to push her over. Something had to push her over so she could be convinced to date this 20-year-old. <laughs> oh, God. I. T- it's so disturbing, Eliza, because, like, I get it. I get it. Sometimes you make connections with people and it's just magical and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm not yet 30. I'm almost there. And I teach 21, 22-year-olds. <laughs> Never. I could not. Mm-mm. No. Those those are my kids. Those, those are, are my younglings. Those are babies. Yeah. I, I ju- it just, it, it, is, it is incomprehensible to me. I, I cannot separate it. I understand it's different if you're not in education, but still I just, right. what... Well, and and you can have wonderful conversations with people that age. They can have amazing insights. They can be really smart, really funny, really interesting. Like, I'm not denying any of that. But there are just times I do not want to talk to someone who's 20 years old. No. No. And like I said, I think think my conclusion with this movie is that Stella deserved better. She deserves a better groove. She might have gotten a groove back, but there are better grooves out there, Stella. (laughs) There are way better grooves. Stella, improve your groove. (laughs) improve your groove like i want to see a remake of how stella got her groove back where i don't know she goes back to jamaica again and she meets like i don't know like a like a super successful Ooh, maybe he'll be like winston shakespeare but the 40 year old version who's like fun and exciting and and vivacious and he's a successful chef and he cooks things for her and together they create an empire they build a whole hotel chain (laughs) together like that would be great I want a version of it where she goes to Jamaica. She has the fling with the 20-year-old. He follows her back to L.A. or wherever it is she lives. They kind of try it again. It doesn't quite work. But she's found her stride. And at that point, she then ends up with current Tay Diggs. Oh, oh. Oh, my God. Someone write this down. Yeah, Tay Diggs is 50 now. So he can be the actual adult she ends up with in the end, who's also amazing and fun-loving and sensuous and awesome. But she had to, like, go have her fling in Jamaica with a little hot something or other first. Kind of love that. Kind of love that. I really do. There's so much to love about this movie. As we've said, the cast is phenomenal. It's great to have an entirely Black-led cast in a movie like this. It's still so rare. Um... And, you know, and I still find that when movies have entire black casts like this, they are 
aimed towards black audiences, which is great. Like black audiences should, you know, get movies that are aimed towards them. But Hollywood markets them as if they're not for white audiences or non-black audiences. And I don't think that should be the case. I think everyone can love these movies. Everyone can watch them. Everyone can appreciate how great the performances are how absolutely gorgeous the two leads are, how much fun the script is, right? Like, there's a lot there. Um, but I think that I think that coming from 1998, this just, it, you can feel the age on it. Yeah, I think you definitely can. And I was reading an interview with the director, Kevin Rodney Sullivan, and he was kind of reflecting on 20 years of this movie and the legacy and the importance it's had in the U.S. I mean, everybody knows this movie. Right. But he was saying that, especially back in 1998, the thing that held the movie back uh, from greater success was that the studios refused to distribute it outside of the U.S. for theatrical runs. Mm -hmm. And wow, hearing that, I mean, you know, of course, that systematic racism exists in the entertainment industry, but when it's so blatant as that, Mm -hmm. it's still shocking, even even this being whatever it was 23 years ago now. It's shocking to think that a movie that's this iconic here uh, was prevented from playing abroad because of something as stupid as studios thinking people wouldn't Mm -hmm. like it or they wouldn't connect to it. Even today, when a movie is meant for an international audience or for a multi-demographic audience, if there is a black romantic lead, normally the other lead is non-black. They are either Hispanic or they are white. Um, And it's because the movie industry, the, you know, the big CEOs making the decisions still don't feel that uh, two black leads can have a movie be financially successful and there have been movies that have proven this wrong but across the board that's still the rule um so it's rare to get a movie like this that can really be financially successful because they don't give it the opportunity yeah and uh just a it's good good reminder for all of us if you're not already uh engaging with these movies to go go support films like sylvie's love and the photograph with two black leads romantic movies with two black leads and also they're like Stunningly gorgeous movies, so watch those too. Well, uh, this is the time every week when we step out to thank our patrons on Patreon, uh, and especially our romantic leads, who are Bob, Esther, Ian, and Trey. I mean, that's how I got my groove back. Yeah, they definitely gave us our groove back. Mm-hmm. You can become a patron as well at patreon.com slash killjoys. And like us on Facebook and Instagram and tell us what you think of this movie and any other travel movies you'd like us to talk about. Uh, all right, Eliza. I, you know, this is one of those weeks where I feel like we get to this point in the show and I'm not quite sure if what we're offering up are going to be antidotes or supplements. What do you have for us this week? I'm not sure uh, what it is either. I, I think if there are things you liked about this movie, this would be something to check out. If there are things you didn't like about this movie, this would also be something to check out. Um, This is a first for me. I am actually recommending a graphic novella. Ooh. Um, It's a short graphic novel called Bingo Love, uh, which was written by T. Franklin, and the art is by Jen St. Ange and Joy San. And it is a story about two young Black women who fall in love when they're kids, and... um, of course, their families don't accept it and they get separated and they move on with their lives. And then they re-meet when they're in their 60s um, and are still just as in love with each other as they were when they were teenagers. And it's really lovely and it's really sweet. It's called Bingo Love because it's all sort of um, framed around them meeting at Bingo Night at their church with their grandmothers and then re-meeting when they themselves are now grandmothers. 
And it's really lovely. It's just unlike a lot of other things that I've read out there. Um, I read it a few months ago and it just was so cute and charming. And I'm hoping for more work from this creative team because I think they did a really great job with this one. What about you, Janelle? What what antidote supplement do you have for us? Uh, indeed, I have some things that you should read, depending uh, not at all on how you felt about this movie, weirdly enough. Um, so as I said, I'm really, I got really interested and did a deep dive into Terry McMillan's career and everything that she's been through in the public eye. And I, I really am invested in her. I, I'm interested in the arc of her career. So, um, I think I would recommend checking out, uh, one of her most recent books, Getting to Happy, which is a, uh, sequel, a, a late term sequel to her, uh, other famous novel, Waiting to Exhale, which was also adapted into a rom-com. Um, while it's not a while it's a response or a sequel to Waiting to Exhale, it's in many ways seen as Macmillan's sort of um, working out the feelings that she had about what happened with her marriage uh, mm-hmm. ending uh, with a man that she met in Jamaica, and it's it's about a woman in her fifties who's finding herself single again and trying to live her best life and creating fruitful relationships with her exes. And it just sounds like a great read. So that's Terry McMillan's novel, Getting to Happy. Uh, and then the other thing I want to recommend you check out, and this is so diffuse and I'm so sorry, but I'm just obsessed with these two. I wanted to recommend just like basking in the glory of a uh, an age gap couple where the, the woman <laughs> is uh, much older than the man. And that is just like, find any content you can find where Janet Mock and uh, Angel Bismarck Curiel are speaking about each other because there's a 13-year age gap between them. Janet Mock is 38 and Angel is 25. Um, They met working on the excellent TV show Pose, which I've talked about on the show before. But the way that they talk about each other, it's so um, grounded and enlightened and beautiful. If you ever get a chance to read Janet Mock's uh, interview in Out Magazine, The Unstoppable Glow of Janet Mock, she talks about how the spark of their relationship began when she was talking to Angel um, on set of Pose and about how kind of dissatisfied she was with life or how like concerned she was about what was going to happen with her moving forward. And Angel said to her, are you satisfied in your current relationship? And he just blew her away with his emotional intelligence. And then from there, (laughs) they've just been all over each other on Instagram and they speak about each other in these just like profoundly respectful and delightful ways. So... Yeah, just go just go bask in how much those two people love each other. It's just absurd and adorable, and I love it. And maybe in the end, maybe Janet Mock will realize that Angel did not help her get her groove back. But for now, it seems like he absolutely did. So get him, Janet. Oh, I love that. It's so cute. I can't stand it. It's adorable. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. That's uh, That's our thoughts. And yes. our groove for the week. That's, that's our groove. Uh, yes, you'll have to, to stay tuned to see what uh, destination we'll be uh, heading off to next week. We don't know either. We're still working <laughs> on it, so stay tuned. Stay tuned. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Romcom Killjoys podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to support us further, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash romcom killjoys. Our theme song is Lady Slut Hitchhike Love by the band A Giant Dog, and the song you're listening to now is a cover of Baby Love by Colin Langaness. Remember, Killjoys, don't let anyone kill your joy. Not a rom-com. 
Not us. Not anyone. See you next time. Instead of waking up, the thoughts and kissing and making up.